This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Looking forward to starting off uh, this very special Christmas time with you guys. Uh, I'm excited that we actually still have a little bit of November that we get to celebrate after Thanksgiving. So we have November and then all of December because this is my absolute favorite time of the year. When you came in this morning, you should have gotten a program. Inside that program, there's a ton of information about the church. Uh, We'll help you get connected with the church, uh, help you find your way around, and we'll really make you uh, feel like you're at home while you're here. And that's what we want. We want you to be at home as you share your life with us. Inside the program are a couple of things you're going to want for this morning. You're going to want your teaching notes. And so you can grab those or fill in the blank notes. It gives you uh, the scripture I'm going to be talking about, has some fill in the blanks. There's space for you to write down things on the side. So you can take this stuff home and you can uh, look at it, pray through it, kind of process it a little bit more throughout the week. Also, your Connect card. Your Connect card is uh, really, for all intents and purposes, uh, one of the best ways that we can connect with you and that we can help you connect with God. Because through your Connect card, we're praying for you throughout the week. Through your Connect card, we are connecting you with different events and programs and activities that you want to be part of. Uh, Through your Connect card, you are letting us know that you're here, letting us know what we can do for you. So make sure you take that out. Take a few minutes just to fill it out. If you're a regular part of our church community, just put your name on it. If you're new to New Life, give us as much information as you're comfortable with, and we really appreciate that. Hey, I want to give an extra special welcome if you're a guest with us this morning. So glad you're here. Really excited that you chose to be with us as we uh, kick off a brand new series that we're calling Christmas Stories. It's going to be very fun, very exciting. Here's the way Christmas Stories is going to play out. We, we've heard them. If you were raised in the church, you've heard these stories. Pretty much most churches talk about these stories starting about now and going through Christmas. But what we want to do is we want to revision these stories a little bit. So there are all these stories in the Bible, specifically in the first few books of the New Testament, that talk about uh, angels and uh, a baby being born and this big trip that this young couple takes. Uh, and we've heard them and we know them and we like them and they're kind of nostalgic and they make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. But as I was reading over the stories of the Christmas story, uh, what happened was I began to see that there was uh, some really uh, painful, powerful, exciting, deep, things going on in the story that usually get overlooked. And so we're going to take, I think, the next five weeks, and we're going to explore the big story, this thing that happened 2,000 years ago. And then we're going to look at our little story in light of the big story, because some of the the issues, the questions, uh, the things that we see happening 2,000 years ago are the same issues that we wrestle with, the same questions that we have, and the same things that are happening in our life. So get ready for it. It's going to be very, very fun. I'd like to pray, and then I want to jump into our brand new series, Christmas Story. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for my friends who are here. Uh, Thank you that you've called us, you've invited us, you've brought us to this place at this time because you have something for us, because you want us to experience you. So Lord, as we begin to uh, break open and unpack these stories around uh, the first Christmas, Would you help us to get lost in the stories so that we can find our story in the midst of this big story that you're writing? Lord, would we uh, we know you more intimately through this process? Uh, Would we experience your love more deeply? 
uh, would the things that we, we learn and engage with and experience uh, help us to, to celebrate all the more fully when we get to December 25th? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are some big stories in the Bible. We're going to take them kind of in the order that they happened throughout the Christmas holiday. And so I'm going to start in the very beginning. But to start in the beginning, to understand the story, we have to understand where the Older Testament of the Bible left off and then where the Newer Testament of the Bible picks up. Because in between the book of Malachi, where the Older uh, Testament of the Bible ended, and Matthew, where we see the beginning of the New Testament, there are like 400 years of silence. And by silence, I don't mean that nothing was happening. In fact, there was some pretty incredible stuff happening. There were revolts happening. There were revivals happening. But there was nothing happening that God saw fit to put back into the Bible. And so we have this silence uh, in the Scripture for about 400 years. So we get to the end of Malachi. And then if you're reading your Bible, just imagine 400 years of nothing. And then Matthew picks up with this story. And there's anticipation. If you haven't Uh, gotten into it in a while, you haven't seen what God's doing, all of a sudden there's silence, 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 and then God speaks in the Newer Testament of the Bible, and there's this anticipation around it, this buildup around it. What's God going to say? How's the story going to start off? How's the New Testament going to begin? And so get ready because it's really powerful. This is exciting stuff. Imagine not reading anything or not hearing anything for generations. All you've heard is story after story after story of what God used to do back then, and then all of a sudden the book of Matthew is written and something new happens. And here it is. Get ready. This is really powerful. This is really big stuff. This is how, after 400 years, God chose to start off the New Testament. You ready for this? Okay, don't miss out. This is is a big deal. Here's how it is. Okay, get ready. This is powerful. So you're going to get excited about this. Okay, don't worry. I'm going to say it, but do you feel the anticipation? Okay, get ready. This is big. Okay, get ready. All right, 400 years of silence, and then God chose to start it this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And it goes on like that for 12 more verses. This person is the father of this person, the father of this person. There's some women thrown in there. Are you kidding me? Now, I know we're in church, so you got to be honest. Let's just be totally honest. How many of you have totally skipped over that part of the story? Because it's, yeah, what are you doing, Jesus? Why why start off the Bible this way, God? Why, Why? I mean, in the Old Testament, when it starts off, it's like there's nothing. And then God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And then, bam, God spoke, and and all these things start happening. The beginning of the Older Testament, big and bold and exciting, and God is moving. The beginning of the New Testament, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father over and over and over again for like 18 verses. And we have to ask ourselves, why on earth? Why on earth would the authors of the Bible choose to start the New Testament that way? Why on earth, after 400 years of nothing, would God say, the first thing that I want in the New Testament is a lineage of people for 18 verses? Did he do it because he just wanted to to bore us? 
because he thought, I know how to not hook anyone in. This will be very unexciting. Uh, I know it will be very uninspiring. No, no, God has to be doing something here. Why would he, why would he start this Bible out like this? So I was thinking about it. I was wrestling with it, trying to figure it out. And then I remembered a story as a kid. See, when I was a kid, I wanted some money because kids want money. And my parents did what I think all parents should do when their kids want money. Uh, They said, okay, you can have some money, but you have to work for it. You have to do chores around the house. You have to do the gardening around the house. And that seemed like a great idea. Do some chores whenever I felt like it. Do some gardening. Get money. What I didn't know was when my dad said do the gardening, he meant get up like at the crack of dawn, like nine o'clock in the morning (laughs) and do gardening. So at about 8.45, my dad would crack my door, and then uh, he says he would just walk by the door. I believe he was actually river dancing outside my door on the wooden floors. And I'd I'd get out of bed, and I'd be tired and blurry-eyed, and uh, we'd go out and start start doing the gardening. And by we, I mean me. I would go out, and I would start doing the gardening. And I remember this like it was yesterday. My dad would be doing other things outside, and my dad loved to whistle— I mean, if whistling was a sport, he'd be in the Olympics for whistling. My dad is a, he's a whistler. He and I have about the same singing ability, which is like this, but whistling he can do. And so I'd be doing the gardening, and I hated gardening. I hated pushing the lawnmower, not fun. I hated edging because the rocks flew up and hit me in the shins, and every time they did, I'd whisper things that I can't repeat in church, and I, I just didn't like gardening. And I remember it used to drive me crazy that my dad would just whistle over and over. He'd whistle these songs. He was so happy. He loved it. He loved being out there with the sun. He loved gardening. I hated it. And then about 10 years later, I was in college, and I was walking to class one day, and before I even realized it, I was whistling a song. And I stopped, and I freaked out. Because I think, I think that I whistle for the same reason that Matthew starts out the gospel of Matthew with a genealogy. I whistle because where I come from shapes who I am. I whistle because my dad whistled. And because I heard my dad whistling my entire life, I whistled. I think the Bible starts out with this genealogy because where we come from, it shapes us. Your past, for better or for worse, where you come from, your family, your heritage, your lineage— shapes the man, the woman that you are, and shapes the generations that will follow after you. Take a minute, just as we start out, take a minute and think through one thing that you do that your parents did. Just one. It could be funny. It could be quirky. What's one thing that you do that your parents did? Now, I want you, I want you to take a second, maybe take 10 seconds each, and just share it with someone next to you. And if you're an introverted person, if, if this just terrifies you, this is a great time to fill out your Connect card. Okay, so just, just pretend like you're busy. But for the rest of you, share that thing. What's something you did, you do, that your parents used to do? Go ahead. All right, overshares, it's time for you to switch to the next person. All right, all right, bring it back. Bring it back. All right, some of you, some of you shares, you extroverts, you love this. 
It's good for you. The rest of you are terrified. So, all right, back up here. Good work. We all have things. We've all been shaped by the generations above us. And so for the next few minutes this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at some of the first people in that lineage that starts out. Remember, it says Abraham was the father of Isaac. I want to look at Abraham and Isaac because they're kind of the ones that started the Jewish faith. And from them, this whole big thing started that Jesus came from this family line. So we're going to look at Abraham and Isaac. And I want to explore some of the good and some of the bad, some of the ins and the outs of family dynamics, family relationships. Because listen, if you didn't have family dynamics at Thanksgiving, you're probably going to have some family dynamics at Christmas. That's just the way the holidays are. Holidays are about family. For better or for worse, they're here. You're with them. Get used to it. It's time to explore it. You ready? Uh, wow. No, apparently. <laughs> are, are you ready? Are you okay with this? Yeah, let's dive in. All right, good. Let's, let's start off. All right, so we're going to start with Abraham. And Abraham is also called Abram at this point in the story. So you're going to hear about this guy, Abram, Abram, Abraham. I'm going to call him Abe at some point. All the same guy, okay? So Abraham is at this point kind of this unassuming guy. He's a moon worshiper from the land of Ur. Now in the ancient world, everybody worshiped something. Some people worshiped the sun, the moon, the river. Uh, There were gods of beer, gods of wine. They all worshiped something. And the truth is it's not so different from today. We all worship something. Worship is just what we give our time, our energy, and our devotion to. So even if you're here and you'd say, no way, I don't believe in God. I'm not a religious person. Listen, you worship something. Maybe it's your health, your physical body, your mental capacity, your job, your kids. We all worship something. And oftentimes Christians worship things other than God because we worship our kids or our health or these other things. We all worship something. And Abraham's happened to worship the moon. Until one day God grabbed him. And this is how the story starts off in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go. Go from your country and your people and your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. Let's just pause there for a second. Moving away is, uh, it's a relatively new phenomenon. How many of you live away from your extended family? Raise your hand. Yeah, my family's in Southern California. My wife's family's in Illinois. So we've moved away, but that's a fairly new phenomenon in the last 60 or so years. Back in the ancient world, you did not move away from your family. Family was stability. Family was safety. Family was your culture, your heritage. Family was your livelihood. You took care of them. They took care of you. So Abraham had no intention of ever leaving his family until God grabbed him. God said, go. And he didn't even tell him where he was going to go. He just said, go to a land that I will show you at some point. And then here's the promise. Verse 2, God said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And get this, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And catch this part right here. If you're a circling and underlining kind of person, you can circle this in your notes or underline it. God said, go, and in verse 4, it says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him to go. God said, go, and Abraham went. Abraham's the kind of guy where if God said, jump, Abraham said, how high? God said, talk, Abraham said, okay, just give me the words to speak. God said, go, and Abraham went. And he went with a promise that at some point, and we don't see it here, but you'll have to take my word for it, or you could read your Bible. Reading your Bible is a great thing to do, because you never know when I'm going to start lying. 
You don't want to get in trouble. But take my word for it. God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you and your wife a son, and through your son, we're going to have more, they're going to have more kids and more kids, and you're going to become a great nation. The problem was Abraham was super old, his wife was super old, they were past childbearing age, and so it was going to take a miracle. Next week, we're talking about miracles in the Christmas story, so I'm not going to get into that today, but it was going to take a miracle for this to happen. And through a number of ins and outs, some missteps uh, that we're not going to get too deeply into, Uh, At some point in the future, God did what God said he was going to do. God gave Abraham a son, and his son's name was Isaac, and Abraham loved his son. Abraham followed God. God said, go, Abraham went. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac was the apple of his eye. Isaac was everything to Abraham. And then one day, as they're going along, as they're on this journey of life, God decides to take Abraham through a test to make sure that Abraham had not switched from worshiping God to worshiping his son. So he takes him through this test, and here's what happens in Genesis chapter 22. So we're skipping down a little bit. God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, your son Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Catch this, he said, and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Sacrifice him there. Kill your son, your only son, the son that you love, the son that you've been waiting for, the son that I promised you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey, and he went. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. Again, God said, go, and Abraham went. Abraham didn't understand, didn't fully know, but here's what Abraham was learning through his life. When God says move, I move. And now Isaac's here, and Isaac's watching this. When God tells dad to move, dad moves. When God tells dad to go, God go. Dad goes. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and his son carried the wood. And then Abraham himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, he said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, well, the, the fire and the wood are both here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8. And imagine putting yourself in this position. You're talking to your son here, your only son who you love. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar, and there he arranged wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son, but an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on this boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So at this point, Abraham's probably close to 100, and his son Isaac is probably in his late teens. And so when it says that Abraham bound Isaac and he put him on the altar, what we have to understand is that you could not overpower Isaac. I have a grandfather, and he's 82 at this point, and if you want to know what my grandfather looks like, add three inches, make him a little bit skinnier. That's my grandpa. I love my grandpa to death. If my grandpa tried to bind me up to kill me, He could not do it. I'm not all that strong, but I'm stronger than an 82-year-old man. Thank you for that. (laughs) 
know if that was a question whistle or a statement whistle. So we have to ask ourselves, why would Isaac allow his dad to bind him up and place him on a wood altar to sacrifice him? And here's why he did it. He did it because he trusted his dad. He did it because his dad had shown that when you follow God, good things happen. And so Isaac, just like his dad, trusted in God. You can put it this way. Past generations, past generations like Abraham and Isaac, past generations have the ability to pass down a legacy that blesses future generations. Isaac grew up watching his dad trust God, watching his dad leave everything he ever knew, trusting in a promise, hearing stories about God's faithfulness when his dad stepped out in faith. And so when it was Isaac's turn to step out in faith, not knowing what God was going to do, Isaac did what his dad did. Isaac embodied the same radical faith that caused Abraham to get up from the land of Ur and leave everything he knew to follow God to an undisclosed location. And that same faith got passed down to his son in the next generation who said, Dad, I see fire. I see wood. I know we're going to sacrifice something. I don't see anything for us to sacrifice. And his dad said, trust me, just get up on the altar. God will provide. And so Isaac got up on the altar and he provided. I want to talk to the 20 and 30-somethings in here today, maybe some of the 40-somethings in here today. I know this to be true about 20 and 30-somethings. We think that we have got it figured out. I'm a 30-something now. I was recently a 20-something. We think that if the generation before us did it, they must have done it wrong. Uh, They are outdated. Uh, They don't know what they're talking about. If they're right-wing, I'm going to be left-wing. If they say up, I'm going to say down. If they say it's blue outside, I'm going to say it's purple outside. We think the generation above us has missed it, has lost it, isn't with it, doesn't get it. But the truth is, and I want to be as clear as I can because God has been convicting me about this, many of us in our 20s and 30s are ageists. We don't believe that anyone older than about 40 has anything to offer, but the generations that have gone before us have incredible wisdom, incredible insight. They've been there, they've done it, they've lived it. And when we get together at Thanksgiving and grandpa starts telling those stories and we want to check out, it's time for us to check back in and listen because the generations that have gone before us have incredible things to offer to us. They have blessings to offer to us the things that they've been through and done have the opportunity to bless future generations. And if we could get next to and close to the generations above us and glean from them the things that they know, it would be an incredible blessing for us. But the opposite's also true. And we see this in Abraham and Isaac as well. So the generations above us can leave a legacy of blessing, but Past generations also have the ability to pass down a legacy of of curses to future generations. Isaac learned about faith from his dad and from his mom. An incredible faith, a faith that just goes when God says to go. But he also learned some other things from his dad that didn't go so well for him. So check out this story, because Abraham wasn't perfect, and the generations that have gone before you and before me, they aren't perfect either. Your parents were not perfect. Your grandparents were not perfect. And they passed down some stuff to us that is kind of bad, gross, ugh, stuff we need to get rid of. Check out what happens in Abraham's story. So we're back in Genesis chapter 12, and Abraham, Abraham is traveling with his wife. 
And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. And he was about to enter Egypt, and he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Hey, that's a great way to start out a conversation with your wife, by the way. I know what a beautiful woman you are. Here's where it takes a turn for the worse. Uh, When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So here's what we're going to do. I got this great idea. I've been thinking about this in the shower, honey. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. Say that you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. There's an idea. All right, let's just pause there for a second. That That is messed up, okay? That's messed up. Now, I'll give you the backstory briefly. They were related. They were uh, half-brother and sister. We're not even going to get into how that's kind of messed up, too. That, that just is. There's some weird stuff in the Old Testament. We'll, we'll do a series at some point, like weird stuff in the Old Testament, okay? We'll just—we'll do it. So technically, he's being honest, but the heart of it is he's terrified he's going to get killed. So here's what he says I'm going to do. I'm going to give my wife away to another man to sleep with another man to save my own skin because I'm scared. And this is what he does. He lies about it. Now, guys, I don't think you've ever done that because you know, like I know, if you ever gave your wife away to somebody else, you'd be sleeping on the sofa for a long time. Okay, this is a bad idea. This is not something anyone should do at any point, even if you are loosely related. And we'll get into that again in the That's Messed Up series. Uh, I just started trademark... New Life Christian Fellowship. Um, And Abraham doesn't do it once. Abraham does it twice. Twice he says, hey, tell him you're my sister. And twice he gives his wife away. Can you imagine being Isaac growing up in that house? Mom had the ultimate trump card, right? Mom and dad get into a fight. Abraham and Sarah get into a fight. And and Sarah says, you know what? I'm sorry, honey. You're right. I, you know, I, I overspent our budget. Shouldn't have gotten those extra pair of shoes. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. But hey, um, while we're on the topic, remember that time that you gave me away to another man? Remember that time? Okay. Argument over. Argument over. Oh yeah, you're right, honey. I should have picked Isaac up from uh, Hebrew school. Should have done that. Sorry, I forgot about him. But hey, remember that time you told everybody I was your sister and gave me away to have sex with the king? Uh, yeah, you kind of blew it. Argument over. And Isaac is hearing these, these things happen. He's hearing this story over and over again. And interestingly enough, in Genesis 26, Isaac has grown up. He finds a beautiful woman named Rebecca. They get married. And notice what happens to him. He says to his wife, when they're traveling one day, he says, when the men of this place asked, uh, asked Isaac about his wife, he said, oh, she's my sister. Why? Because he was afraid to say, she's my wife. He thought, well, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's so beautiful. Wow. That's the same thing his dad said twice. He says, hey, Rebecca, uh, I got this plan. I learned it from my dad. It seemed to go pretty well for him. So I'm going to try it here. Uh, We're going to go into this new land that people think you're beautiful. I'm just going to tell them you're my sister, kind of give you away. When you're growing up, did you ever swear to yourself, I'm not going to do that thing that my mom and dad did. I'm not going to do that thing my grandparents did. I'm not going to yell at my kids. 
I got yelled at my whole life. I'm not going to yell at my kids. I'm not going to be an alcoholic. I'm not going to get drunk all the time because I know the toll that it, it took on my parents. And I know the toll it took on me. Or I'm not going to be a workaholic. I'm going to be present. My dad was a workaholic. My mom was a workaholic. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be present with my kids. I'm going to be there for them. I won't be absent. I'm not going to leave. Even when times get tough, I'm not going to leave. And now you find yourself in the same spot. Why do we do that? We promised ourselves we, we wouldn't do it. We promised ourselves we'd be different than the generation before us. We promised ourselves I'll never do that thing. We do it because general, generational ties are strong. Because who came before you and what you saw modeled before you affects you, and it's strong, and generational curses are incredibly difficult to break. If they were easy to break, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do the thing you swore to yourself you'd never do. You wouldn't treat that person the way you swore you'd never t- treat them. But generational curses are strong. That's why children of divorced parents are twice as likely to get divorced as children of non-divorced parents. That's why 70% of kids whose parents are in prison will end up in prison at some point. I remember uh, when I was uh, in Oakland, Marie and I spent a summer working in the inner city, and there was a little boy there who was probably six years old. And every morning at 8.30 in the morning, his mom would lock him out of the house in inner city Oakland so she could go, and she was a prostitute, and she uh, was a, a drug abuser, and she would go out on the streets until late, late into the night, and he would just wander the streets by himself at four, five, six, seven years old. What are the chances that he has for success on his own? All he saw was generations of brokenness, cycles of poverty, cycles of drug abuse and sin and pain. The chances of breaking that are incredibly difficult. So what do we do with this? What do we do with our family, our past generations? Because they do affect us. And anyone who says, you know what, my dad, my mom, my grandparents, they don't affect me. They have no impact on me. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to your family. You're lying to your friends. They do affect us. So we need to ask some big questions. Ask, what are the good things about my family's past? And how can I reproduce them? What are the blessings that have been passed down? Maybe there's only one or two. I don't know. Maybe there's a lot. What were the blessings that were passed down that you want to replicate in your marriage, with your kids, with your friends, at your work ethic? What's the legacy that they left to you? And how do you want to reproduce it in the next generation? And then you also want to ask the question, what are the generational curses that I need to expose and break? Because there probably are some. Some of those things that you promised yourself you'd never do that now we find ourselves doing. What are some of the generational curses that we need to expose, we need to call out, we need to see for what they are and break? And I want us to, to take some time this week to expose them. And here's how you do it. If you've got some space in your notes, you can write some of this stuff down. The first is ask God. How am I going to expose these things? I've got to ask God. I've got to ask God. And you do that um, by praying and reading the Bible. Does my family experience line up with what I see in the Bible? If it doesn't, which one am I going to believe? Am I going to believe my family experience, or am I going to believe what God says in the Bible? And then pray into that. Ask God, what are the lies that I, that I grew up believing? What's the sin that I saw that's kind of come into my life? What's the pain that I've seen? And if you're still having a hard time exposing some of the generational curses, ask some friends. 
Ron preached a great sermon a few weeks ago, and in the sermon he said, uh, each of us have fans, we have foes, and we have friends. Your fans always see the best, and they have rose-colored glasses on. Your foes always see the worst in you. You don't want to ask them too many questions because they'll bring you down. But then we all have a few friends, and our friends uh, love us, they're for us, they see us for who we really are, and they can speak into our lives. So ask a friend. And then I would encourage you to go through the process of forgiveness. If you've taken some of the generational curses and you've then put them onto your kids, you've done things in your relationships, you've done things in your life that have hurt people, you've taken that sin and moved it into the next generation, ask God for his forgiveness and then ask the Holy Spirit to to free you from them. We just finished the Beyond series where uh, we heard the Apostle Paul say that with the Holy Spirit, we can break the power of sin. We don't have to keep these cycles going, these generational curses going. God gives us freedom through his Holy Spirit. So ask the Holy Spirit to break the power. Uh, If you've heard other people, and I I went through this process recently where I realized that some of the things that I had experienced, I'd then passed on to future generations and my wife. If you've heard other people, we need to go to them and ask them to forgive us. Apologize. For some of us, counseling is a really good next step at that point. Uh, I think it's good for most of us to be able to process what's going on in our lives, and counseling can be a helpful thing for that. And then I would say the next step is to start a new trajectory. So pray, ask for forgiveness from God and from people, and then start a new trajectory. Which direction do I want to go? Right now, this year, this Christmas, what patterns do I want to change? What patterns do I want to start? What patterns do I want to set? What kind of a person do I want to be? And then watching your kids, like see if your kids are doing some of the same things that you were doing, and then don't don't come down on them too hard because you're scared, but correct them. Correct them. Because this story that starts out in Matthew is a story of redemption, ultimately. It really is. It's a story of broken people, messed up people, good people who love God, but who have some past. Abraham was a man of faith, amazing faith. God used him to do, uh, to start off the whole Jewish people, and Jesus came from Abraham's family line. He's an incredible man of faith that we can look up to, but he was also a liar He was also incredibly scared, incredibly fearful. He also tried to take what God wanted to do and then do it in his own power. Uh, King David was a great man. He's in that family line that we talked about. David was a great man, but he was also an adulterer. Uh, He was also someone who who sent a woman's husband away to be murdered because he he got her pregnant. I mean, there's messed up stuff. But ultimately, God redeems it. Ultimately, God heals it. That's the story of Christmas. It's the fact that the world was in uh, such a state of disrepair apart from God that God did the only thing that God could do. God sent his only son into the world to live a perfect life, to call us back to God, and then to uh, give his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so we could be forgiven. And so I want us to be asking this Christmas season, what do I want to continue in my family? What's the legacy that I want to pass on to the next generations? And then what do I want to cut off in my family? Jesus had to ask that question. His family line was full of great people, but it was full of prostitutes and murderers and liars and gossips and steals, uh, steals, thieves, um, greedy people, alcoholics. I mean, he had all kinds of stuff in his heritage. So he had to ask the question, 
what does God want from me? What can I pull that was good from the, few, the past generations? And then what do I want to pass on? Because someday you're going to be someone's past generation. Someday you and I are going to be someone's history book, someone's lineage. You're going to be so-and-so's dad, so-and-so's grandpa, so-and-so's great-grandmother. What kind of legacy do we want to pass on? As we close our time together, what I'd like to do is give you an opportunity to respond. And so on your connect cards, there are a few ways to respond, so you can pull those out. Uh, The first one is this. Uh, Spend some time this week thinking through and praying through the generational gifts that the past generation gave you, because most of us have them, and then thank them. By the way, if you're young-ish, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 20s or your teens, this is especially important for us to do to our parents and to our grandparents, to the older generations, to thank them for the gifts that they've given us. And it might take some of us a little bit longer to think through them, but we should be thinking through those. We should be thanking the generations ahead for the gifts that they've given us. Another thing you could do is spend some time this week thinking through some of the generational curses and then looking for ways to make a a new trajectory. By the way, the reason why we ask you to mark those on your card is because every week the staff and our prayer team are praying for you. We're praying with you. We're asking God to move in your life as you do these things. And then finally, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship, an intimate relationship, one of the greatest gifts that your family may have given you is a faith background, a faith heritage that brought you to church, that brought you to this place. But until you own it, until you make your faith your own, that doesn't do anything. It's their faith. It's their relationship with God and not yours. And this morning could be your opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus and make a decision to follow after him. And if you've never done that, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute and give you a chance to do that. Or maybe at some point uh, you did have a relationship with God, but you've walked away from him and it's time to come back into a relationship with him. If you've never made that decision or if it's time for you to recommit your life to him, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. So I'm going to pray in just a second. And partway through that prayer, I'm going to invite you, if you want to make a decision, to give your life over to God. To be like Abraham, when God called him and said, go, he just went. To be that kind of person who says, here I am, God, whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. If you're ready to make that kind of decision, you can repeat the simple prayer after me. So join me and let's pray together. Lord, thank you for starting out the book of Matthew this way. Thank you that as we dive into uh, the generations, we see some amazing gifts, both in your story, in your family heritage, and some of the amazing gifts that our family has brought to us. Thank you that you reveal to us through this lineage, through this heritage, that there are also uh, some generational curses that get passed down if we're not careful, some sin that gets passed from generation to generation. And I ask uh, that your Holy Spirit would be guiding each of us this week, helping us to figure out what those uh, areas of sin and brokenness are that might have been passed down so that we can cut them off and start a new trajectory with you. So would you give us the strength to dig into our past this week, uh, to explore it, to thank people in our lives for the ways that they have poured into us and left a legacy that is good and positive and rich. Would you also give us the courage to look at areas of our family tree of our history that are not positive, that are actually painful and negative, so that we could cut those off and we could experience new life this Christmas season with you. As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you sense God calling you into a personal relationship with him and you've never made that decision, you can pray this simple prayer with me. You can either whisper it right where you are, no one will think you're weird, just whisper it right where you are, or you can repeat it after me silently in your head. 
you can pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, today I want to enter into a relationship with you. I believe that you came to earth, that you lived a perfect life, and that in your death you took the penalty for my sins so that I could come back to God. And today I say yes. Yes, I want to experience your forgiveness and your grace. Yes, I want to follow you with my life. Yes, I want this relationship. And yes, God, I want you. So would you guide me and lead me? Would you fill me with your spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to follow after you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.